I want you to go with me to Ephesians chapter three. Ephesians chapter three. I want to talk to you about what do I do with my pain? What do I do with my pain? This is a really important teaching. This is something that I'm very passionate about. I'm very passionate about hurting people, uh, people carrying their wounds and their scars. Um, you know, I had a really, I had a pretty stable life growing up. You know, I, I never had to endure uh, a lot of hardship or anything like that. And, and God spared me from a lot. I can look back and see a lot of things that should have happened or could have happened, but they didn't. Uh, and God in his mercy really kept me. And in the time that I've been in ministry, you know, I've come across a lot of people who, for whatever reason, were victimized. Uh, a lot of people who have been victimizers, uh, people who are learning how to overcome their hurts and overcome their wounds and past abuse. And being able to help them is a very humbling, humbling thing because I can't sit there and say, I relate. I, I can't do that. It has to be God. And that's one thing that sitting with people and hearing their stories and learning to cry with them has taught me is that only the supernatural power of God will do when it comes to healing. If people are going to become what God has intended them to be, if you're going to overcome the things that have burdened and broken you throughout your life, uh, somebody looking at you and saying, I get it, that helps. That helps. But at the end of the day, there has to be something from heaven. There has to be something from the throne of God that comes in and transforms and mends the heart. And that's what I'm hoping the Holy Spirit is going to lead us to today. So Ephesians chapter three, we're going to start in verse 14 and read through to verse one of chapter four. What do I do with my pain? The apostle Paul writes, for this reason, I kneel before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Uh, I've got a pair of lights on the front of my garage that annoy the daylights out of me because they don't work. And I wish they would because they're pretty and I love being outside at night, whether it's just, you know, taking a walk, reflecting, playing with my son and, you know, having some extra lights out the front would be, would be really great. And they've never worked. I've tried changing the bulbs. It's some kind of wiring thing and that's beyond my skill. I'll blow the house up if I try to fix it. So I'm just like, what, whatever, you know, let them, let them be broken. But then every time I come home and it's nighttime and I see my neighbor's lights on the fronts of their garages working, I'm like, man. I want my lights. I want my lights to work, you know, and, and all of a sudden the brokenness on the front of my house comes back to memory. And sometimes we're like that. We get so used to dysfunction. We get so used to things not working that we forget they're there until we come across someone or something that is working properly. And all of a sudden the thing in you or the thing you have that doesn't work right just becomes magnified. You know, we, we have things around our houses and around our workplace, you know, clocks that don't run and, and lights that have been burned out forever. And, you know, we get used to them not working. 
Sometimes we, we get adjusted to brokenness. We get adjusted to malfunction and we think it's just normal. It's just the way that it is. And our hearts are no different. Our hearts are no different. And that last verse that we read there where Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Basically, he's saying, I want you to live the kind of Christian life that Jesus expects of his people. I want you to represent Christ the way that he deserves to be represented. Because when he talks about calling, it's not talking about personal destiny. It's the call to salvation, the call out of darkness and death and into light and life because of the gospel. And now there's this call. He's saying, because of everything I've just told you, in light of everything I just said, I want you to live the Christian life. Be a victorious believer. And sometimes we as Christians, as Bible-believing, blood-of-Jesus-bought, spirit-filled Christians can hear words like that. And we can look at other people's Christianity. And rather than feeling hopeful, our own brokenness just gets highlighted. And we look at all the areas where, you know, my lights don't work. You know, my, my holiness is not like that, guys. My, my prayer life, I'm still nodding off like this, you know, or man, I, I've, I've tried to stop using profanity. I've, I've tried to stop looking at pornography. I've tried this. I'm sorry. I've just, I've got too much to work through. It's nice that you're able to be a good Christian. You must just not be the kind of mess that I am. And we start rationalizing and working our way through why we're broken and why we're stuck and why we can't move forward. And if you're in that place, I want to tell you that there's hope for you. I want to tell you that Jesus loves you and that he is pleased with you and he delights in you. He doesn't hate you. He's not ashamed of you. He's not angry with you. Are you getting the picture yet? The judgment that you're making of yourself is not even close to the judgment he makes of you. The opinion that you have of yourself is not the opinion that Jesus Christ has of you. And some of you need to stop saying things about yourself that Jesus would never say about you. And that's where the Lord's taking us today. And this is coming out of a lot of, a lot of learned compassion, you know, learning to cry with people and, and just seeing what people go through. And, you know, there's going to be things that I reference today that, you know, are very sensitive matters and none of it is meant to just get a reaction or evoke a response. It's because this is real life. And just by virtue of statistics, I can guess that at least one person in the room that's this big has been through certain crises and certain damaging experiences in life. And nothing that I mentioned today is to make anyone feel awkward or uncomfortable. I want to make the devil feel uncomfortable. I am interested in exposing the enemy. I'm interested in breaking the works of darkness because that's what I believe God has sent me to do today. Now, when you read the book of Ephesians, you can break it up into two big sections. Chapters one through three, all about the inheritance of the church. When you come to Jesus Christ, this is what you get. This is what it means to be saved. This is what it looks like to walk as, a, as an adopted child of God. And then you get to chapters four through six, and now it's about the duty of the church, the identity of the church, based on who you know yourself to be, based on the position that Jesus Christ has given you, what now should your outward lifestyle look like? That's how the book is divided. And we read the bridge. We read the bridge between the two sections, the closing part of chapter three and the opening of chapter four. And this command, no matter how messed up you feel your life has been or your Christianity is right now, the command in chapter four, verse one, is for every Christian in this room to live a life worthy of the calling, to live a life that shows honor to Christ for the salvation that he's given us. But I want to deal specifically with those of us who hear that and we think, I, I really want to, but I don't know how. 
I really want to do that. But every time I try, I just feel like my tires are spinning. Well, that's what chapter three is for. Chapter three is meant to give us spiritual traction so we can start moving forward in this Christian life that God has called us to live because there's a lot of broken people in the church. There's a lot of broken people in the church. And if we just walk around saying, well, you just need to pray a little more. You just need to believe a little harder. Listen, that's not helpful. Let me just say it. If anyone's ever said that to you and all you could think was that doesn't help me, but I feel it would be unspiritual to say that. Let me say it for you. It's not helpful. It's not helpful to just look at someone who is literally bleeding out emotionally because no one has ever been able to tell them, how do I deal with this? And to just say, well, you need to pray harder. Look, the person is having trust issues with the God you're telling them to talk to. You don't think they need a little help? Listen, God gets you. He gets you and he's not half as frustrated with you as you are with yourself. He's not frustrated with you at all. He's a perfect father and he knows how to help his children. He knows how to help his sons and his daughters. And we're going to be looking at what it means to walk in the power of God. Because as I said at the beginning, only the power of God will do. And when you look at the beginning of the passage in verse 14, Paul is praying for the Ephesians. He's, he says, I kneel before the father. I'm bowing down to him and I'm praying. Look at verse 16. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. Yeah, that's what we need, Paul. We need some Holy Ghost might in this room. I'm a broken Christian. I need some Holy Spirit power to come upon me, but he doesn't stop there. Because look, there's a lot of different ideas on what does Holy Ghost power look like? What does it mean to walk in the power of God? Does it mean you, you fall over trembling and, and convulsing on the floor? Does it mean that you've got to leap and, and dance and, and feel electricity running through your body? There's a lot of very strange and unbiblical understandings of what the power of God looks like. And there are also some very biblical understandings of what it looks like, but then do we impose that on every Christian? Is everybody meant to experience the same thing? Well, I want to tell you what scripture says everyone should be experiencing about the power of God. Look at the way in this passage that Paul pairs up two concepts, the power of God and the love of God. He marries them to each other. Look at verse 17. He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power. So it's by being established in the love of God that you have and own and experience the power of God. In other words, there is no experience of divine power without also an experience of divine love. You can't have one without the other. To know the love of God is to know the power of God. And he goes on to say and complete his prayer. He says, I pray that you be rooted and established in love. Verse 18, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep. So wait a minute. Knowing the love of God actually takes power. He, he's flipping it. He says, you've got to be rooted in love to have power, but then you need to have power to understand this love. It's that big. And he's not contradicting himself. He's trying to paint a picture. If the only thing you're after is I need spiritual power, I need spiritual power. Okay, yes, but what does that look like? It looks like you understanding that God loves you. You know, those three little words, we take it for granted. We only share them in evangelism, but the church needs to start saying it to the church. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. I know you might've had a rough night last night 
may have been a really bad week. You might have walked through those doors with your tail between your legs, but guess what? Jesus Christ loves you. And his love is stronger than your sin. His love is deeper than your failure. His love is wider than the abuse that followed you in this afternoon. It's higher than every ill-spoken word that was put over you. Every time you were told you were worthless, you'll never amount to anything, nobody wants you. Whatever things and thoughts have flown through your mind, the love of God is stronger. There is no experience of power. There's no experience of freedom apart from knowing his love first. He wants you to be settled and grounded in that because that's when you start exploring the depths. That's when you start seeing how deep this, things go, this thing goes. If you look at the screen, this is our first major point that we're going to make this afternoon. We experience God's power by knowing his love. We experience his power by knowing his love. We're called to explore the depths of this limitless love. What does he say? I want you to know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. There is no end to knowing the love of God. If you think you get it, you're already wrong. If you think you understand the love of God, you're already wrong. You will never outgrow your need to hear the words, he loves you. You will never outgrow that. You will never become too spiritual for that. The more spiritual you become, the more you're crying out for it. God, do you still want me? Because look, at the, same thing, at the same time, when we get more spiritual, we grow a little bit in our faith, we start holding ourselves more accountable, don't we? Oh, I should know better by now. I can't believe I just did that. And look, in some sense, that's true. In some sense, that really is. But when we allow our self-accountability to call God's character and love for us into question, someone else is in charge, and it's not him. We're giving our own self-evaluation too much authority in our lives, and we've got to step back. There, you can't know his love. You can't, excuse me, you can't know his power without knowing his love. God wants to empower you not just to feel free and feel good about yourself. Okay, I got this now. He wants to empower you so that you can comprehend that, look, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, you belong to me. And I love you. And I'll never throw you out with the trash. What did Jesus say? All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will by no means cast them out. I will not turn away anyone who comes to me. You know, Jesus didn't go into the brothels, but when the prostitutes came to him, he didn't turn them back. Jesus wasn't wheeling and dealing in the temple complex, but when the tax collectors came and confessed their thievery, he didn't condemn them. He embraced them. And that's how it is. And those were, those were examples of sinners coming to him for salvation. And when people in the church, they know they're messed up. They know they've got things wrong. They know they need some spiritual repair and they come to Jesus. And if we're holding them back, no, sorry, you got to straighten that out before. You... No, let them come. It's in knowing God's love that we find the power to live for him. There are two things I found that keep us from understanding this love, because here's, here's the big question that I started asking myself when I was looking at this passage. All right, Lord, if knowing your love is the channel through which your power can flow into our lives. If understanding how much you love us is what's going to enable us to make a break with sin, if it's knowing how much you love us that's going to enable us to defeat the works of the devil, if it's your love that's going to empower us to refuse our temptations and be healed from past traumas and experiences, why is it so hard for some people to believe it? 
Because a lot of people have a really hard time believing that God loves them. And it's usually because of the things they've been through. It's because of their past experiences. And I want to tell you a little story before I, I give you these two things that I've, I've come across in, in my time in ministry and, and counseling. I, I've learned, I'm not a professional by any means. I, I don't have a degree in counseling. I'm not licensed to do anything. I, I love Jesus and I want to help other people do the same. I know the Bible and I'm going to tell you what the Bible says directly or indirectly about your problem. And, and I pray that that is enough, you know, and I, I know my limitations. I know where something's above my pay grade, so to speak, but you know, I, I've learned to be spirit dependent when I'm talking with people. I've learned to be dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit because I don't know what to tell people. I don't know in and of myself what to say. And there was one time I was speaking with a young man and he, oh my goodness, like he was sharing things he never shared before. He'd been sexually abused repeatedly as a, as a young boy. And, you know, he now just, he wanted to kill himself. He hated himself. He didn't like the guy that he saw. He was ashamed and disgusted, not because of anything he had done, but because of what had been done to him. I don't know if I'm reading anybody's mail, but look, that should tell you you're not alone because this was somebody else all the way in Pennsylvania sitting in my office telling me their story. And, they, and, and I shared with them out of this passage, out of Ephesians 3, you know, it's in knowing the love of God. And when you get a revelation of God's love for you, that's when things really begin to change. And he said, but Pastor Nick, why can't I believe it? It's like, I know that God loves the world. I know he loves me, but I don't own it. I can't believe it. I, I don't feel that love. It's not real to me. What do I do about that? And I know this guy wasn't looking for emotions. That's not what he was talking about. He was crying out from the depths of his soul. He wasn't interested in feeling something. He didn't want to hurt himself anymore. He wanted to lose the desire to take his life. It's not about emotion. He wanted to escape the shame of being victimized and turned into an object by an abuser. It's not just emotionalism. He didn't just want to feel. He wanted to know that something was real, something that could actually give hope, something that was stronger than the agony of what had been done to him. If that's real, then I want to have it. And he's looking at me and saying, how do I get there? And you know, I looked at him and the words came immediately. And I'm telling you, this is one of the moments in, in, in my life where I know God gave me the word of wisdom, that, that gift that Paul speaks of, the word of wisdom, where there's a spontaneous spirit endowed understanding of what to do. And I, I spoke to him as though I had always known it. And I wasn't being fake. It just came out. It was actually after he left that I thought, I never thought about that before. Where in the world did that come from? And I, and I thought, my God, you were in the room. Like you were in the meeting with us and you spoke. And, and God does that. God does that. And I want to share with you these two principles. And the only reason I'm doing this is because I see them reflected in the scripture. God does speak through prophecy. He speaks through word of wisdom, word of knowledge. But you, you don't ever champion something as truth unless you can see it reflected in the text of scripture, because that's our authority. And it's only because I see these things reflected there that I want to share them with you today. So there are two reasons why God's love becomes hard to believe or hard to receive. And the first reason is this. We long for love other than God's. It's because we long for love other than God's. See, you and I have the tendency toward idolatry. We want to insist on being loved a certain kind of way. And there are cases where we'll let God love us to a degree, but there's a part of ourselves that will kind of hold back because 
you know, something's broken. We were denied something. You didn't get loved the way you wanted to be or the way you needed to be when you were younger or at a certain point in your life. And now it's like, okay, God, I know that you love me, but I really want this thing that I was denied and deprived of, you know, all those years ago. I want that back. And, and if I could just have that, I'll be a whole person. And that's wrong. You have to let God's love fill the whole of your heart, not just part of it. You know, we've got our, our uh, church building uh, back on the campus was actually built in two halves. You know, Pastor David Wilkerson was still alive and, you know, he funded the, the, the building of, uh, we call it the manor house, got the cafeteria and the gym on one side. You've got the sanctuary and the classrooms on the other. And the half with the, the gym and the cafeteria was built first. We already had another sanctuary. It's not because we're unspiritual or anything, but the gym and the cafeteria were built first. And a year later, they built the second half with the sanctuary and the classrooms. Thing is, they used different kinds of cement. And you, could see, you can actually see to this day when you go in the upstairs foyer where the foundation is split. The foundations were different. And because they were different, the buildings didn't fuse together as one. And they actually settled at two different rates. And now when you walk in the foyer, there's a crack going through the floor, around the walls, and in the ceiling. And it's like, oh my gosh, is this thing going to break off? I don't, I don't think it's going to do that. But you could see where they settled at two different rates. And now there's this permanent crack. Well, look, your heart is no different. Sometimes we will let the love of Jesus be the foundation for our life up to a certain degree. But, you know, I, I really just need a father figure. And if I could just have someone who will, who will mentor me and overshadow me and really pull me in like that, then that'll, be, that'll complete me. That, that's the other thing that I need. You know, God's love, absolutely. I needed that forgiveness. I needed salvation. But I, I really need this. Or there's a yearning for romance. If I could just have another person, another human tell me that I'm desirable and they want to spend the rest of their life with me, then I'll overcome loneliness. Then I won't be depressed and sad and sorrowful anymore because I, I have real needs. And then some of us go to the flip side where it's like all about self-image. There's a drive for success. You know, it's like, no, I'm, I'm going to fill in these broken places. I'm going to fill in this empty spot. I'm going to prove that I'm worth something. I'm, I'm going to hide behind an image of myself that as long as this is up, no one sees the scared little boy that's hiding behind it. You let the love of God fill you up to a degree. And I see this in a lot of our young men that come to the school. They love Jesus with all of their hearts, but they're so desperately afraid of their weaknesses that they feel they've got to hide behind this front. And when you hear what is fueling some of their fears and what they've been through and what's been done to them, it's like, my God, Lord, we need something from your throne to bring healing. We need something. It's only the love of God. When, when these guys start realizing, wow, I can drop my guard in front of Jesus. I can be completely vulnerable with him and he's not going to throw me out. You know, the first time I had to tell somebody, I knew this guy's problem. He didn't even know what it was. He, we're, we're talking and, and, and he's telling me he had been abused. And I said, you know, one of the things that really confuses kids when they get molested is, especially for boys, I think, they get molested, they get sexually abused, and they, they feel a sense of pleasure and enjoyment. And that's what really throws them off. And, and I said, you know, it sounds to me like that, that might be what you're going through. You know, you hate and you were terrified of what this person did to you, but it felt good. And you've never known what to do with that. And, and he just, he started weeping and he said, I, I've hated myself. I've been disgusted with myself because that's exactly how I felt. People carry real scars and real wounds. Look, you don't just bounce back from having your innocence taken away. You don't just bounce back and recover from that. There's no amount of resilience that can, that can pull you out of that. You need to know that Jesus loves you in a way that's stronger than in the way that you were hurt. And he does. There's nothing stronger than the cross of Jesus Christ. There is nothing more powerful than the love of God. 
You can't fill yourself up. There's an emptiness that might have been left in you by someone else who punched a hole where there should have been wholeness, where there should have been innocence. But guess what? Jesus Christ can mend that broken part of your heart. Jesus can fill in that emptiness. Jesus can give you back what was taken away from you. He restores all things. He is the God who rescues. He's the God who restores. He's the God who can give peace in the midst of confusion. When you don't know which way is up or down or right or left, he's got a love that encircles all of it. He's got a love that goes deeper than the anger. He's got a love that goes higher than the abuse. It's wider than how, how long the time frame was. His love is incomprehensible. It's an endless journey that you and I get to take from now until the day he calls us home. And the deeper you go, the more free you become. If we could just bring up the, the next three points, just very quickly, I want to read through them for the sake of time. Again, the first reason that God's love can be hard to believe or receive is because we long for love other than God's. Well, look, beloved, Jesus's love is better than every love that's failed you. So stop longing for something that's already failed you. It's not going to do it this time. It failed the first time. It's not going to work the second. Only his love can fill and heal the places where we're empty. Only his love can heal and fill the places where we're empty. And this, is, this third point here, this third sum point is very important. Jesus doesn't give us what we want, but he gives us himself, which is better. You know, very often it's infinitely better, but we do. We insist on being loved a certain way. If I could just be loved, and, and people do this. If God loves me, then why doesn't he well, fill in the blank? Look, as as understandable as that sounds, it's still idolatry. We don't get to tell the God of the universe how to express his love. He has already loved us perfectly. And when we ask those questions and make those statements, what we are doing is we're elevating our pain above God. And we're basically saying that he gets defined based on this. God, you'll be good if you respond appropriately to what I've been through in my life. That is what we're doing. That's hard medicine to swallow, beloved, but we have to swallow it. We have to let that sink into our spirits that, you know what? Very often we try to dictate to God how he is to love us, how he is to relate to us, how he's to express himself. But at the end of the day, it comes back to Romans 5, 8. God has proven his love to us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He has already proven who he is. He has already proven that he loves you. And no amount of abuse in the world can take away the reality of what he accomplished 2,000 years ago. None of it can. Don't let your abuser be stronger than your Savior. Don't let your abuser have more power than your God. Because look, at the end of the day, that's what we're doing. This is not easy to swallow. This is not easy to hear. But beloved, it's the truth. And if you want to be set free, we have to embrace this. We have to embrace this. The second reason why the love of God can be hard to believe or receive is because we judge ourselves unworthy of love. We look at ourselves and we think, well, you know, I don't love myself. No one else should either. And you know, my, my son has a, a little Bible at home that we, we bought for him. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible, and I, I love it. I think it's great. You know, it's, it's a paraphrase retelling of, of all the, the great stories of the Bible. And what the author does is a very different approach. Her name was Sally Lloyd-Jones. She tells all the Old Testament stories showing how they point ahead to Jesus. 
And so he's the center of the whole thing. It's not just individual stories about Noah, Abraham, David. It's like, no, every, every story ends with how someday Jesus would come and he would fulfill what that Old Testament story, it's awesome. I love it. And if you're a Bible nerd like me, it's even more exciting. And I love the creation account. Because in the creation account, the first time I read it to my son, I was actually choking back tears because of this one line that she had in there. And, you know, I think when we first got it for him, he had just turned three. So I don't think he was fully aware that, you know, dad was getting a little, a little verklempt behind him. But, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm reading the creation narrative and it talks about how, how excited God was after he made his children, after he made Adam and Eve and how they looked just like him. And there was this, this one line that caught me and it said, and they were lovely because he loved them. They were lovely. You know, where does beauty come from? Think about that. It's like, what, what makes something beautiful? It, it has nothing to do with what, you know, what it is about the, the quality of something or its make. It, it has to do with, does it appeal to you? There's a lot of truth to the idea that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. There's a lot of truth to that. Might not be true in every case, but in a lot of cases it is true. That it's because you value and desire something so much that it has worth. You'll give your life for it. It has value. You believe that it's worth something. And the reason why you are lovely, the reason why you are beautiful, you broken, messy Christian, is because he loves you. It is because he loves you. You need to stop walking around saying, I'm ugly because he touched me. I'm ugly because she abused me. I'm ugly because he manipulated. No, you are lovely because he loves you. You are lovely because while you were yet a sinner, Jesus Christ died so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be cleansed, so you could be made new. And maybe there's even people in this room, you were on the other end. You were the victimizer. Maybe you passed on what was done to you and you've never been able to look at yourself in the mirror the same. Guess what? You can confess that and repent of that to Jesus and he'll forgive you and he'll accept you. You're lovely because he loves you. It is his love for us that makes us worth anything. It's because God handcrafted you in the womb of your mother. Just like he did, Adam was a preview of the way he would make all humankind. He fashioned men from the dust. Then he took the rib and he fashioned the woman from the rib. And now what happens in the womb is God fashions that baby. That's how precious you are to him. You are lovely because he loved you and not all the trauma and the abuse in the world can lessen that. You are not ugly. You're not a mess. You're beautiful. You're worthy. You're lovely. And it's because he loves you. The last three points under this, please. Jesus' love is more powerful than what has shamed you. It's more powerful than what's made you afraid to look in the mirror. Jesus' love is stronger than abuse and deeper than trauma. Paul says that you may know the, what, the width, the length, the height, and the depth of the love of God. And the last point there, you are lovely because he loves you. That's the bottom line. You're lovely because he loves you. It's time for us to stop measuring ourselves according to what has happened to us. And that's, not e that's easier said than done. But look, I'm saying that at the end of a message about how powerful the love of Jesus Christ is. You know, some of you have been Christians for a long time and you've just felt like you've been spinning your tires. 
Some of you have had things maybe that you've kept hidden and locked up and you think you've got it under control, but in some way it's, it's never really stopped defining you. Look, you, you need to let your guard down. You need to get honest with God and you need to ask Jesus's love to flood your soul in a way that it never has before. You've got to let his love be the whole foundation of your whole heart and of your whole life. And you have to stop, stop, stop letting what's happened define your worth and your value. You don't need to make up reasons why you're worth something. You have an eternal, infinite reason why. You are worth everything. You were worth the blood of the Son of God. Nobody has, no one can take that away from you. No one can take that away from you. I know things, very painful things, might have been taken already at one point in your life or another. But no one can take away who shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who shall separate us? I'm persuaded with Paul, man. I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor things of the past, nor things at present, nor things to come shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's the truth. That's who we are. And it's when we understand that love. It's when we understand that love that fear loses its grip. It's when we understand that love that pain starts losing its hold on us. Depression starts dropping off. Shame has to flee in seven directions. This is how we break the power of the enemy, folks. You need to know the love of God. You need to know how much Jesus loves you. And he's crazy about you. He is absolutely crazy about you. Look, there's nothing in me that feels comfortable being irreverent toward the Lord, but I just need to say it that way. Jesus Christ is crazy about you. I mean, he died to prove it. My goodness. What more does he have to do? I'd like to invite you to stand. We're going to go into a time of worship and prayer. And look, very simply, who needs to know the love of God today? Who, whose heart is just crying out for a fresh revelation? That, Jesus, can you tell me one more time that you love me? Lord, can you help me overcome these things? Lord, can you, can you bring me to the place where my whole heart is full of your love and not, not other things? Lord, can you, can you show me that I'm not defined and I'm not, I'm not defined by the things that happen. I'm not ugly because of what was done to me. I'm, I'm lovely because you love me. If that's the cry of your heart, then I want to invite you to come. There's no shame. There, we are all broken people. We all need the healing power of the love of Jesus Christ. There is no shame in coming to the front of this room. And I just want to invite you as the music begins to play, come. And we're going to sing together to Jesus because that's what he deserves. And then at the end, I'm going to come back and we're going to pray together. And we're going to believe God to shut the enemy's mouth. We're going to believe God to open prison doors. And we're going to walk out of here free today because that's the kind of God that we serve. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Satan, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we rebuke you. We command you to be silent. I know you're angry. You're angry because he loves us and there's nothing you can do about it. There is nothing you can do about it. Lord God Almighty, we thank you that you will never stop loving us. You will not stop and you've invited us to explore the depths of your love, to explore the depths of your passion and of your jealousy over us, God. Lord, that you want us to belong to you and you alone, oh Lord. You're like a, a jealous husband. You exclusively want our love because you look at us and you say, you're desirable. You're lovely. 
You're beautiful. I want you in my family. God Almighty, I thank you that every person in this altar, once upon a time, before we got saved, before we got born again, we were the enemies of God. But you loved your enemies and adopted them, oh Lord. You adopted your enemies and you made them your sons and your daughters. That's our story, God. That's the story of every Christian in every age that's ever lived. When we get to heaven, that's what we're going to be singing about. We're going to be looking at one another and saying, I was his enemy. And he loved me anyway. I was his enemy and he made me his son. I was his foe and he made me his daughter. Oh God, we rejoice in your love this afternoon. Oh God, we celebrate the reality of your powerful, powerful love that runs deeper than her anger. It's higher and wider than our abuse and the traumas and the losses that we've experienced and suffered. And we command every evil hold, every evil influence over the brothers and sisters of this altar to be loosed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every deviant behavior, every doubt about God's love and goodness, every question, every bit of anger and bitterness, every refusal to forgive, every desire to fill up their own hearts, we say be loosed in the name of Jesus. Oh God, we need something that can't be manufactured in an atmosphere. Lord, there's no amount of music, there's no amount of preaching that can do this work. It's got to be something from heaven. God, baptize us in your love. Baptize us in your love, oh God. Show us what is the width, the depth, the length, and the idol God that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses understanding because God we want to live for you Lord we want to live for you we want to live for the God that's rescued us this isn't about us at the end of the day it's not about our hearts Lord it's about your glory so for the sake of your great name for the sake of your kingdom come down and heal us Lord come down and heal us Come down and restore us, God. Come down and mend our broken places. Raise us up, O oh Lord Jesus. Show your greatness, O oh God. Show that you're stronger, O oh Lord, than every abuser. Show that you're stronger, O oh God, than every evil word. Show that you're stronger than our shame, O oh Jesus. God, come and glorify yourself. Glorify yourself, O oh God, in our midst. Because, Lord, we want to live for you. This is about your name, oh God. This is about your glory. This is about your kingdom, oh God. Lord, we're about the Father's business this afternoon. And thank you that you've made our healing your business. Lord, you have made our empowerment. You've made our restoration your business. So God, I thank you for every person who's at this altar. Lord, I pray that just as Paul said, God, so many times we, we quote this verse and we apply it to everything, but it was in this talk about the love of God that he said, now to him who's able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that you can ask or think, God, exceed our expectations with this. God, go beyond what we can even think of asking you. Lord, blow our minds with the understanding of your love, God, and let that reality drive us out into these streets Lord, let it drive us out into our workplaces that we would not be able to contain what you put inside of us this afternoon. Oh God, oh God, do something supernatural, Lord. Jesus, we love you, Lord. And God, we only love you because you loved us first. Oh God, we love you back. Oh God, we love you back. Thank you for the healing that's in the name of Jesus. Oh God, thank you for the healing that's in the name of Jesus. Let's do something. One more time. Can we just, let's defy. 
the fact that the enemy's tried to make us silent. Let's defy that he's tried to keep us angry and let's give God a shout of thank you praise for our healing and our restoration. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're the healer. You're the rescuer. You're the restorer. Hallelujah. You men broken people. You men broken hearts, oh God. Hallelujah. You're stronger, oh God. You're greater. You're mightier. You are good. You are good. And your mercy and